0: The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org.
1: And God gave me everything I needed, and that's when I thought, this is what I could do. I could teach people the Bible. I could teach Jewish people the Bible. I can help Jewish people see Yeshua, as the Promised Messiah.
0: Thanks for joining us now. This is First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd and our guest is Dr. Michael Rodelnick, a Jewish believer in Jesus who is professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Michael is a son of Holocaust survivors and you'll hear his story in a moment. Before we hear from our guests, though, I appreciate you listening to this weekly program. We aim to present the stories of people who are serving Christ with their lives. They come from all walks of life and have a story to tell. If you're unfamiliar with us, we're found online at firstpersoninterview.com, where there's a complete archive of past interviews. Telling these stories is possible because of the Far East Broadcasting Company, who supports First Person so that you can listen. I'm amazed at how the Lord is using FEBC's gospel broadcasts around the globe, and I hope you'll take a few moments to learn more at febc.org. Our guest, Dr. Michael Rydelnik, not only teaches Bible at Moody, he also regularly leads tours of the Holy Land. He recently co-authored a handbook on Messianic prophecy and hosts his own calling radio
1: show. I sat down with him in the Moody Radio studios recently to hear his story. I teach Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. I've been a professor here now. I'm in my 26th year, so it's, I'm, I'm not a newbie mm-hmm. at uh, teaching. And uh, as as that as a professor, I, I teach courses like Jewish history and history of the Holocaust and the problem of evil. And uh, I also teach courses like the Pentateuch. Yeah. the Torah. But you're outside the classroom as well. Yeah. Uh,
0: you do radio. So some of our yeah. listeners will know you very well because they hear you on the radio. That's right. Uh, you
1: lead uh, groups to Israel all yeah. the time. So I do, you, I do other stuff. You do other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 am, I love hosting and teaching the Bible. Yeah, I can tell. On Open Line Radio, uh, on Open Line with Michael right Only because it's the tell. official name. Okay. Yeah.
0: Years ago, would you have envisioned yourself in the situation you're in now?
1: Wow, how far back you want to go? You know. <laughs> okay, I, anyway. let's go. Let's go pre faith. Okay, pre Christ. But before I came to know Jesus and followed Him, I thought I was going to become an attorney. I was only in high school, but I was going to become an attorney, and I was going to be a cutthroat, killer attorney. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to be what we would think of. There was a there was a criminal attorney in New York named Barry Slotkin, and I remember the name. Yeah. 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 He, and I thought. That's who I'm gonna be, and uh, you know, obviously, that's not what, what turned out. Something happened along the way. Yeah, I became a follower of Jesus when yeah. I was when I was in high school. All right, and we'll talk about me that. Around. Tell me about your family growing up. Yeah, well, that's sort of the background of how I came to know Jesus. My my parents are both Holocaust survivors. My dad was from a small village, a shtetl is the Yiddish word for it in Poland. If someone has ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, mm-hmm. and was a shtetl. So uh, that was in Russia, but they were all over Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah. And my dad was from one called Chmielnik. And uh, he was married, had four sons. He had an adopted daughter. And uh, his whole family was taken to Auschwitz. And uh, they perished there. He survived. He was in a labor camp or concentration camp, but not a, a death camp uh, called Gross Rosen. It was a complex of camps. Have you been there? Yeah, I've been to Auschwitz, but not to Gross Rosen. Okay. And your mom? My mom was from a town called Boyten, and it was in Upper Silesia in Germany. And she was uh, basically orphaned when she was about 12 years old. Uh, her dad lost his citizenship when Hitler came to power because he took all uh, naturalized German citizens of Jewish descent and he kicked them out of the country. Mm-hmm. And so he went back to Poland and uh, my grandmother became quite ill, was in the hospital, and my my great-grandparents only wanted to care for my mom's brother and not her. And oh. so she was put in an orphanage. Oh, boy. And... Uh, what happened was that this orphanage was run by Lutheran deaconesses, sort of like Protestant nuns, mm-hmm. and they cared for her quite well. And also, you know, they sent her to Hebrew school when they did their Bible classes with the kids. She went to the rabbi for Hebrew school and and things like that. And then when she was sixteen, she became a, f- a follower of Jesus. She okay. trusted Jesus. We'll pick up that part of the story yeah. later. But when you're fo- growing up, when your folks would tell you these stories, what was your reaction? Did you just sort of Thinking about the the stories, what of the they Holocaust. had been through the Holocaust. And... Well, t- truth to tell, my parents, you know—some Holocaust survivors never talked about the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. My parents only talked about the Holocaust. Really, it was a non-stop conversation. How do you account for the difference? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I guess there's just different approaches. Uh, my dad was quite embittered, as he—I you know, understand why he was. Mm-hmm. And so, if I complained about something, I'll give you an example. When I was nine, I came home from school and I, it was evening and my mom had made a dairy dinner and I, I'd never had a dairy dinner. And I said, cottage cheese for supper. Are you kidding? (laughs) And my dad sat me down and talked to me about what food was like in the ghetto and Ludge and what the food was like in the concentration Uh camp. And I I never complained about food again, Mm -hmm. at least in front of him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, so that was, and, and also there were a lot of Holocaust survivors in my community. And my fa- parents were friends with them. Uh, I thought when you grew up, you got a Yiddish accent, like all of them. Uh, I thought that when you grew up, you got numbers tattooed on your arms. Really? Yeah, because it seemed it like normal. Every, huh? every adult I knew yeah. had numbers on their arm. And uh, my parents, there's a, a linguist who has identified a Jewish way of speaking. She calls it cooperative overlapping. <laughs> And when Jewish people... That's creative. Yeah. When when, when we're interested, you know, uh, people who aren't Jewish are interested, they sit back and listen. Jews, cooperative overlap. We, well, yeah, you too. And they, you know, they we talk over each other. And it's a, it's a cultural way of communicating and showing interest. And I remember as a very young child, my parents sitting around the dining room table with all these people. And they were comparing, swapping stories uh, about their experiences. And it was sort of like, can you... Well, can you, you think that's this? something? Yeah. Uh, can you top this? This is what happened. And and I was sitting there playing with like little horses and some guys on the floor next mm-hmm. to the table. It's one of my earliest memories. And my mom started describing the experimental surgery the Nazis did on her eyes Ooh. and how they removed her tear ducts uh, to see how a person lubricated their eyes and how a person uh, could cry or whatever without tear ducts. And as she was describing this surgery on her eyes, I just passed out. Mm-hmm. And the, my when you pass out, uh, and I was just a little kid, you know, I, I was probably three or four. I, I don't know how old I was, but three or four. When you pass out, you still hear what people are saying around you. Yeah, so I, I heard my mom say, get the smelling salts. He's passed out again. Again. And so that tells me it was not the first time. Uh, hmm. And uh, so I grew up hearing these stories all the time, and my heart just broke. Hmm. Uh, and, of course, when you're a kid, you don't realize how foreign that is. Mm-hmm. And When I was about nine, my parents said to me one day, we're going to send you to camp this summer. I said, like, heck, you are. <laughs> I know what goes on in this place. Oh, that I've heard. camp, you know, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they always talked about in the camps. Oh. In the camps. And, and so the Holocaust was always sort of in our household. It was always there. Uh, And we we talked about it all the time. And uh, the one thing that that my dad kept communicating to me is, do you think it couldn't happen again? Mm. Uh, There was always this sense that, you know, it may be good here now, but it was good in Germany Mm -hmm. in 1871. It was the first country when it was united that gave all Jews full citizenship. And so, Interesting, yeah. But your mom was a believer. Yeah, my mom became a believer. And uh, then in 1939, after after 1938, after Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, uh, the nationwide pogrom attack on the Jews of Germany, the deaconess has sent her to a sister deaconess house in Poland to get her out of the danger. Well, then, of course, September 1st, 1939, the Nazis invade Poland. And it was from there that my mom was taken. And she went to the Lodz ghetto. And uh, my dad was also in the Ludge ghetto. I believe they actually met. Uh, he was there. My dad was there with his family and was friends with, knew my, my mom's brother who happened to be, they'd all been reunited with her dad at that point And uh, they were in, in the ghetto together. And so, uh, my, but my parents really didn't get to know each other till after the war. And they came here after the war. Yeah. My my dad remarried after the war. His wife died in childbirth. And my mom was working as a nurse in this hospital in Berlin, and she felt sorry for the baby. And my dad came to her, and he said, I need, he recognized her, met her. Hmm. He said, I need someone to care for this baby. And just like out of Anatevka, he's like, I I need you to marry me Hmm. to take care of this baby. Oh, I see. And my mom felt sorry for the baby. And though she was a follower of Jesus, she still married my dad. And then after they married, he forbade her ever to tell anyone that she believed in Jesus. Hmm. And so she became a secret believer, a secret follower of Jesus. And I was raised in a very traditional observant Jewish home, okay. never that knowing my question. that my mom believed in Jesus. So when did that all come about uh, that you found out? Yeah, I was a freshman in high school. I was the baby in the family. And my, uh, my mom and dad, I think, were having some marital issues. And so my mom was really feeling like she needed to strengthen her faith. And so she found a Messianic uh, ministry, a Messianic congregation meeting at the chosen people. She ministry. didn't lose her faith through all those years. No, she secretly believed she actually had a German Bible that she had with her through the whole time she was in concentration camp. She was in the gross Rosen women's camp. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so she read the Bible. And I, I, a couple times I asked her once I, in particular, I remember asking her if I could ever read the new Testament. Did, did she think that was okay, and she said, I think that would be fine that's all she said, uh, so I had permission to do it, but I didn't uh, I was just intrigued I'd been to Israel and I'd heard some things about Jesus mm-hmm. uh, and so I was kind of intrigued, and I thought well, maybe I 'll read the New Testament but uh, but anyway that's so my my parents started having some tension. She found this uh, congregation in Brooklyn uh, of messianic Jews and it was planted and established and uh, by Chosen People Ministries. There was a woman who taught her the Bible there. Did you accompany her? No, 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 uh, My Your she dad was, wouldn't, wouldn't she was going, that, yeah. yeah, she was going secretly. I see. And then after a couple of months, she publicly announced that she was doing this. And my dad just went crazy and demanded she recant her faith mm-hmm. uh, or he would leave her. And she couldn't, and he did. He mm-hmm. divorced her. And I was furious with my mom because how dare she break up our family and on top of that, betray our people by believing in Jesus. We're getting to know Dr. Michael Radelnik today on First Person. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. When I first heard the good news on the FPC's station, I tried praying to Jesus for the first time. Life is difficult but Christ is helping me see things differently.
0: The Far East Broadcasting Company receives millions of responses each year from grateful listeners. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company. Until all have heard. My guest is Dr. Michael Radonick, who is professor of Jewish studies and evangelism, too, right? At Moody Bible Institute. No, Bible. Bible. Bible, yeah. At Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. We're hearing a very personal story today. We haven't gotten to the point of you coming to faith. No. Uh, it's been your mom's faith so yeah. far. It's a
1: fascinating story, Michael. Yeah, so my mom was uh, going to this Bible study and had this woman teaching her, and I thought, I'm going to really show my mom how stupid this is. We were arguing about it all the time. I felt she was... Now, how hepatitis. old were you? I was a uh, freshman in high school. Okay. So, uh, and so I I went to meet this woman who was teaching her the Bible, and I kind of told her to leave my mom alone. And she challenged me to see if this is really true. And I thought, I'm going to show this woman it's not true, and then my mom will give up this foolishness. And so I met with her multiple times to talk about... The Messiah of the Hebrew Bible, and I was arguing why Jesus did not fulfill those prophecies. So you're one of those people that set out to disprove Christianity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was really furious. Uh, and the problem was that uh, Hilda Kozer, was the name of this woman, uh, when Miss Kozer would show me these passages in the Bible, I had a book that had the answers about why they couldn't be about Jesus. It was called Faith Strengthened. Uh, and yet, I thought her answers made a lot more sense about the, but you didn't let her know that? Oh no, no, no. And then one day she challenged me to ask God to show me if this is true. And I said I don't need to cuz it's not. At which point she uh she said to me, "Well then what would it hurt?" And so I offered the worst prayer I think in the history of all prayers, it was something like, uh, dear God, I and I normally didn't pray like that spontaneously, yeah. uh, but uh, we had the prayer book, you know. But I said, God, I know Jesus isn't the Messiah, uh, that he didn't fulfill any of the prophecies. <laughs> this but is he, the anti-prayer. Yeah, <laughs> but if he did, and I know he didn't, then show me, but I know you won't because he didn't. And that was the extent of my praying. And then she did challenge me about uh, whether or not I needed a redeemer. Uh, a sacrifice for my sin. And I said, no, I wasn't a sinner. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I don't. And I, really, I was a nice Jewish boy, honestly. My days were consisted of studying and playing basketball. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't shoplift or use drugs or <laughs> do all the things that people all around me were doing, you know. And and she said, well, don't you ever sin? And I said, yes. And uh, when I, she said, well, what do you do? I said, it's Yom Kippur. We fast. It's good enough. And, and she showed me Leviticus 17 about the life of the fleshes and the blood, and I've given it, given it to you upon the altar. Well, she knew her Bible, didn't to, she? To make atonement for your yeah. souls. She said, when did God take that away? When did God take that away? And it really bothered me because uh, I said, well, the temple's destroyed. She said, but when did he take away the requirement? And uh, it really challenged me. And so uh, I pretty much was trying to stay away from all this and then my mom who had been nagging me to come to services with her and I always said no and then one day she said they're showing a film about Israel uh, and would you like to come and I thought I'm gonna go because this way I said I'll go but you can't ask me to go again it's sort of like Brussels sprouts I'll taste it (laughs) but I never have to eat it again right and uh, she said yes And I thought if it's about Israel can't be about Jesus so I'm safe Hmm. so I went And the place was packed. There were 200 plus people in this uh, building and uh, it was services and they showed the film. A guy from Billy Graham showed the film. I'd never heard of Billy Graham. He wasn't big on my list of people. (laughs) And it was his land with uh, uh, Cliff Uh, Barrow Barrow and 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 Cliff Richard. Richard. Yeah, Yeah, sure. And so I liked it. It talked about how the prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah. And I thought, well, actually, it first talked about how the prophets foretold the regathering of Israel. And I'm like, great, yeah, this is good. And then the second half is about how the same prophets foretold Jesus as the Messiah. How did that go down with you? Oh, I was I had my arms folded. I was getting more and more angry. And then it hit me. I thought, if the prophets foretold this, if I wanted to be a good Jew, even if I was the only one, if I believed in the promised Messiah, I would be a good Jew. And afterwards, uh, this man from Billy Graham gave an invitation, which... I had never seen. He had everyone bow their heads and their hearts, which I wasn't sure how to do. He said, no one uh, has to uh, see what you decide. But if you would like to put your trust in Jesus, would you, as your Messiah, would you raise your hand? And I thought, I'm not going to raise my hand in front of all these people. And then I was sort of shocked because there was my hand raised up. And I thought, I will never tell a soul. And just as it was up there, my hand was up. And he said, I see that hand. And someone in the front row, one of my mom's friends, Claire, uh, she thought it was someone that came with her son. So she quick peeked to see who it was that raised his hand. Because he said, I see that hand in the back. And she gasped in front of over 200 people. "Ah, It's Michael. And she said that out loud, totally busted. And so uh, I told my mom that day, I said, I'm not going to be a fanatic like you. And she said, okay. And, uh, just, uh, she was just thrilled that I believed. Yeah. And, uh, that was, it had to be just the Holy spirit, right? Oh uh, yeah. I was, I felt this pressing need to believe this, but I didn't want people to know it. I didn't want to be laughed at. Yeah. Uh, had your pride. Yeah. And my sister Miriam was really mad. She was there that day. She came cause I went, and I had talked her out of believing several times. And so she was kind of angry. She trusted the Lord that afternoon. And, uh, and so I went to a Bible study that week. And how did you get me to a Bible study? Guy calls me up, youth guy. He says, we're going to have a Bible study. Do you want to come? And I said, no, not really. And I'm not going to be a fanatic. And he, uh, he kept uh, pressing lightly. Uh, he said, all the people that you met, all those young people are going to be there. And I said, there was a girl with strawberry blonde hair uh, <laughs> Okay, here we go. And I, th- I said, well, <laughs> will this girl be there? And he said, uh, yes, yeah, she will. And I said, okay, I'll come. I'm there. And, <laughs> and he never told me it was his girlfriend. But <laughs> anyway, so I go to the Bible study, and it was on 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show you yourself, yourself approved. approved unto God as a workman that need not be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, which is our theme verse at Moody Bible Institute, mm-hmm. which I didn't know at the time. Anyway, so we studied that, and I thought, this verse is saying I need to handle God's word the way my dad, who was a craftsman. He could make furniture and, mm-hmm. uh, and cabinets. That was his living. I thought, it, wants, it God wants me to handle his word the way my dad, a workman that was unashamed, handled a piece of mahogany or oak. Mm-hmm. and uh, And I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn the word. I'm going to teach it. So... Th- that was when that I set became the a course. fanatic. That yeah. set the course.
0: You know, as I listen to that story, I think about how we, we underestimate the, the Holy Spirit reaching into young people's lives. I mean, yeah. you were a young person yes. when you were asking all these
1: questions and, and throwing up all these defenses. And, yeah. and, and I was an angry young person because my yeah. parents had broken up. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I was angry at my mom, and the Lord really spoke to me about that. Hmm. So. Was there a significant step in your life, a step of faith then after that, that really set the course for what you do now? Yeah. Uh, my dad, when I finally told him a few weeks later that I had become uh, a follower of Jesus, that I'd become a Messianic Jew, uh, he, he demanded I see these rabbis. And so he arranged this meeting with two rabbis from the anti-conversion campaign of a certain sect of Judaism. Hmm. And they were young, and they came, and my dad was there. And I asked if, I could, if he could bring two rabbis, can I bring some people? So I brought two, Ms. Kozer and another uh, Messianic Jewish teacher. But they weren't allowed to talk. And so these rabbis were talking with me. And I just kept going over those passages that had convinced me. And I didn't know what I was going to say. And I, was, I felt th- this is going pretty well. And then... I. They said, what do you need a New Testament for? The the law's forever. It's good enough. And I showed them Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 about, I'll give you a new covenant, not like the one I made when you left Egypt, but one that I'll put my law in your hearts. And the, one of the rabbis was looking at that text and he, we're looking at it in Hebrew and he says, I've never seen that before. <laughs> and my dad said, crazy. And he, and he walked out, he left. Did your dad ever turn? No, no. He moved to Israel and uh, he he disowned mm-hmm. me, never really wanted mm-hmm. to talk with me again. I tried many, many times mm-hmm. over the years, mm-hmm. but uh, didn't want to. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was the time where I thought, God, I, I went in unprepared, knew nothing, was terrified, and God gave me everything I needed. And that's when I thought this is what I could do. I could teach people the Bible. I could teach Jewish people the Bible. I can help Jewish people see Yeshua as the promised Messiah. You've been listening to the testimony of Dr. Michael
0: Radelnik of the Moody Bible Institute. You can read more about our guests when you follow the links we've provided at firstpersoninterview.com. In those program notes, you'll also find a link to the just-released Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, which Michael had a major hand in producing. Our archive of interviews grows each week and you're invited to explore our past programs either at firstpersoninterview.com or by using the download feature on our free smartphone app. I'm grateful to our broadcast partner who makes First Person possible. It's the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC takes Christ to the world through radio and new technology and millions respond after hearing God's Word, many for the first time. Show your thanks for First Person by supporting FEBC. You'll be able to view video testimonies of changed lives because of FEBC's ministry when you go to febc.org. Check it out today online at the Far East Broadcasting Company's website, febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to First Person.